Navigating Metal. I am Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and my co-host is Chris K. On today's episode, we are revisiting an episode we did 100 episodes ago, but we're approaching it from a different angle. Two years ago on episode 18, we discussed Kiss, Masked versus Unmasked, where we focused more on the music side of the story. This time, we're taking it more from a personal point of view. We're going to focus on the hows and whys of some of the decisions KISS made throughout their career and the consequences of those decisions, as well as how the band members viewed what KISS meant. From developing their makeup, refusing to back down when other bands didn't like their antics, replacing members, to taking off the makeup, re-energizing their career, and then putting the makeup back on, it always seemed like KISS were on the brink of collapse just to rise again. Today, we dive into KISS, the 70s versus the 80s versus now. Chris, 100 episodes ago, we we talked about KISS, and it was masked versus unmasked, and this time it's a little bit different I know this was sort of your baby in terms of of wanting to do this episode, which doesn't bother me because I'm a Kiss fan. Well, I mean, back then, I didn't know as much about Kiss. And so having listened to, you know, uh, bits of of Paul Stanley's book, interviews with Gene, interviews with Peter, interviews with, with Ace, you know, you get more of a perspective of how, you know, there's always multiple sides to a story is if, if there's four people in a story then there's probably five sides right there's each one of theirs and then there's the truth somewhere in between and that's kind of what i see more now you know there, there's a perspective of how these guys view what kiss is and then there's all the other members that have been in since so it's kind of an interesting story and i kind of want to re- wanted to revisit it based on what we discussed last time Okay. Well, I mean, I obviously I have no problem revisiting Kiss because I love I love talking about Kiss. I remember as a kid, I defended Kiss vehemently during the Dynasty era, during the Unmasked era, during the Elder period, and you know, and basically just throughout their career and throughout my adulthood. I mean, it's one of those things where you really you. You were proud to be a KISS fan when you were around other KISS fans. But in in some ways, it was almost like you were ashamed to say you were a KISS fan in a lot of different kinds of scenarios and and circumstances with other people around. You know, like everybody was a Priest fan, Van Halen fan, Maiden fan, Metallica fan. But when it came to KISS, it was like, yeah, I like KISS too. You know, kind of like you were in the back corner. (laughs) barely raising your hand sometimes because you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know if you were going to be in a room full of kiss haters or kiss fans. And, you know, if you were in a room with kiss haters, it was like, Oh, they suck. You know, they turned, they, they sold out. They turned disco, you know, it all depended on what era you were talking about or in at the time, you know? So it was, it was one of those things where as a kid, it was tough as an adult. It was probably just as tough when you were into those, in those circumstances. I think a lot of times when you're part of a fandom of any band or any other property like that, um, there's going to, especially when there's longevity there, there's going to be that kind of dissension with certain people. You know, we've talked about it with other bands where, you know, they reach a point where they change stylistically or something like that. And they say, oh, they're sellouts, etc. And 
it, it at the end of the day it doesn't matter if you enjoy it you enjoy it but when like with kiss it's always interesting to me because like kiss has such a strong fan base you know and there's different people or like people that support different eras of the band etc but you have like the kiss army where people will defend every bit of what kiss has done and really buy into the whole concept of it you know the the everything from the the merchandise like even to like the kiss caskets and all that stuff so it is a really just intense fan base it's very interesting and i've i've seen them live and it was it was a spectacle not just the band but seeing the the fans people dressed up of all ages you know wearing the face paint all that stuff it was interesting to see when did you see kiss Oh man, um, it would have been early two thousands, somewhere around there. Pro- I guess maybe more late two thousands. So it was probably was it the farewell tour or was Tommy Thayer and, and Eric Singer already in the band? Tommy Thayer and Eric Singer were already in the band. Okay, like All right, so it would it was, have been like late two thousands. Okay, so it was one uh, of those maybe two thousand nine somewhere around there. Okay. Okay. Cool. And you know, and and that is funny. You know, and we're going to kind of touch upon that. But that show or that you went to was was probably more of a spectacle than the shows that happened in the seventies. And the funny yeah. thing about it, because Paul, I, I was just reading recently. Paul mentioned something similar to that. That there is this. Um, actually, I wasn't reading. I was listening to a podcast with him and. Um, What's his name from from uh, from Rage Against the Machine, the guitar player? Um, totally. uh, Tom Morello. Yes, Tom Morello. So I was listening to Tom Morello's podcast that um, that he puts out, and this was uh, from earlier this year. And Paul was on the show, and he was talking about how when they reunited and they did um, the 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 shows, uh, you know, post reunion basically, and and everything mm-hmm. since then. So, so since '96 and on. Okay, the shows have been more bombastic and they've been bigger and more elaborate than anything they did in the seventies. And it was it was a thing that they, they were living up to, or trying to live up to, what people thought they saw in the seventies, mm. okay. as opposed to what they actually saw. Because, and and I can attest to this. I mean, I didn't see any shows in the seventies, but I have the videos, and. There was nothing in the videos that would sit there and say that it was a bombastic spectacle, you know, like like the 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 inner sleeve to Kiss Alive Two. Okay, that never happened. I mean, it happened for that picture, but what it was was they literally took the picture as if they were on top of the risers. Everything was open, so they're 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 twenty feet in the air. The risers twenty feet, you know, the drum risers twenty feet in the air. The, they take the picture as soon as they set off all the bombs, but. In reality, they said that that the way that that picture set up that never happened. Hmm. Fans didn't see that, and that's the crazy part about it. I mean, they saw the uh, flames go up, but it was during like one song or the beginning of one song or the end of one song, and then you know when the risers went up, you know they would shoot off stuff and it would be like a flash pot, but it would not be a full blown flame all the time and, and stuff like that. So it was it was an image that they tried to portray that people have in their mind that really never existed. That's, that's interesting. 
<laughs> it is, and it's, we'll talk about it now um, as we as we basically go into a lot of what went on during the seventies and eighties, and and what's going on now. So why don't we go ahead and start there uh, in the seventies and kind of we'll give a brief as possible a, a history of how the band started. You know, uh, Kiss forms in nineteen seventy three after Gene and Paul. You know, they had been in Wicked Lester. They had met each other a few years earlier. Um, Paul realized that he was a better musician with Gene and had a better chance of of success with Gene than without. And so they decided to make this band. Um, they quit Wicked Lester. They left them hanging high and dry with a record deal and everything and basically put together Kiss. They, they got uh, Peter Chris through a, an advertisement in... A uh, local magazine. I can't remember which one it was again. Um, you and know, that was a weird story too. Just the way he introduced himself and carried himself, etc. It just that's that's part of of what interests me about Kiss. You know, you know, Peter Peter Chris. You know, for for lack of a better term, and being very punny, was a strange cat. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, as a kid going through this period like so so i i was introduced to kiss in 1977 and having to kind of go back just a few years really and kind of learn about them i mean i bought a book or was given a book that was uh you know probably a couple hundred pages uh paperback type of thing so in in reality a hardcover was probably you know 125 pages or something like that and just kind of goes over their history real briefly and and just reading those things and catching up and then seeing how, how, you know, kiss meets the phantom in 1978 was, was a disaster. But as a kid, you don't think it's a disaster. You think, wow, I'm seeing my favorite guys on TV. I don't know that they're acting horribly bad. You know, it just on television, it's just, it's so cool. They're superheroes, lasers through the eyeballs. It's a concert, fake kiss versus real kiss. But you know what I compare that to is, is, (laughs) So when I was a little kid, Ninja Turtles were huge, right. and there there was a a concert of them playing, um, you know, songs, and they were really bad songs, and they weren't <laughs> obviously playing the instruments because they had, you know, the costumes on and stuff like that, and and so, but when you're a little kid, that's so cool, and there's the the you know the the fantasy of it. And right. to some degree, it's the same thing, even though it's not really true musicianship or anything like that. But, but it's the spectacle, you, and you think you don't realize like this is way worse than it actually. <laughs> yeah, like right. I mean, you look back now and you watch Kiss Me to Phantom of the Park, and it's just like some of the worst acting. Yes, it's you the know? same level of what I was talking I mean, about. It's just like, horrible, it's bad. You know, they're. Yeah, and then when you f- you find out the backstory that Kiss, you know, never learned their lines. They're being fed the lines scene by scene. You know, who was it that was dubbed over? Peter Chris. Was it Peter? <laughs> because all Ace really did the whole show. <laughs> you know, because he or, was a spaceman, right? He was a spaceman. He was just you know, or something about you know Curly, you know. He was just, it was just bad writing overall. (laughs) But but anyway, um, so yes, Peter was a strange cat. Yeah, the circumstances behind his his uh, joining the band was was strange. Ace Freely comes in, plugs in during the guitar sessions. You know, 
Peter, no, actually not Peter, Paul and Gene are, are actually having a conversation with Bob Kulik at the time who tried out for the band. But unfortunately, they were really good friends with Bob Kulik and they really liked him, but, but Bob did not have the look. Uh, I'm assuming that Bob was bald at the time. Um, although that was not necessarily a thing that people were, you know, that was not a look that was kind of normal back then in 1973. You know, it, 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 he didn't have the look for them, so he was disqualified, but they, they, you know, uh, grew a friendship with him that they, that they maintained all the way up through basically his death a couple years ago. Um, but Ace really plugs in and immediately when they play with Ace, it's the chemistry is there. So, they choose Ace. He's their guy. They get some gigs. Um, and immediately, they learn that Ace Freely is one of the laziest people on the planet <laughs> because he refuses to load his own gear. So, you know, between Peter Chris and his and his demands right up front and Ace Freely being lazy, you kind of knew <laughs> if, you, if you were an outsider, this shit was wrong from the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there there was there was such a uh, like a clash of culture between Peter and Ace and Gene and Paul. I mean, we all know this, right? Obviously, that's the big reason why those two guys are not in the band anymore. But you really hear it when you when you hear them talk. It's not just it's not one sided. They are really genuinely very different people. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it has, and it's funny because Peter, not Peter, um, well, Pete, Paul would later on talk about Peter and, and put him in, in a light that I think Paul really is misunderstanding Peter, you know, I mean, calling Peter somewhat anti Semitic and everything like that. And, you know, Peter, it was just, just Peter's the oldest one in the band, so there's this there's this thing about the way he grew up, and and you know all of us are, are guilty of it. The way we grew up and the way we talked when we were kids and teenagers and young adults are are pretty much the same way we talk now. So as times have changed, you know some things are inappropriate, some things are no longer uh, viewed as the the right way to converse, the right yeah. words to use. So Peter you know, used certain things, uh, certain phrases uh, about Paul and, and Gene that some would view today as being anti-Semitic. Um, but in the t- when you're thinking about it as, as a person who grew up in the 60s and the 70s, that's something that's just the way those people talked. And that's the way the attitude that they had. But it then didn't necessarily mean that they liked them less as a person, that they were anti-Semitic or, or anything like that. It's just, that was just something that was like a stereotype of of that kind of person and so you know paul didn't take kindly to it made some accusations peter you know denied that and stuff like that and i and i get it you know so i think that was just a bad look on paul's part you know but it, it, yeah you're, I mean, you're exactly right when it comes to the clash of cultures you know peter being italian and, and almost mafia like you know Ace being Italian, but completely different type of Italian, you know, and Paul and Gene being Jews, Gene being, uh, you know, from Israel, Paul growing up in a Jewish household. So it was, it was one of those things, you know, that they definitely were raised differently. They definitely were taught different 
basic values and you know it definitely showed reared its ugly head throughout the years or especially early on yeah i mean there's such a difference between them like one of my favorite stories is listening to them talk about you know they're taking their photo shoot for their their first album and they had a makeup artist come in and they're putting on their makeup and um then peter comes out and he's got the makeup that ended up on the cover of the first album and they look at him like what what the hell is this this is not what you wear like what what are you doing and they end up having that on the first album and that's the only time he ever had that makeup and i just think that's hilarious it's he's he had this thing in his head that everything had to be like bigger or or like different or something and and so he comes out and he puts this makeup on and it doesn't represent what they look like on stage no no and it's and hilarious it's I'm, I'm looking at three pictures that i have of that photo session mm -hmm. um that um you know and i touch upon it uh in the in my notes you know in in 1995 when kiss did the kiss conventions um well actually a couple years earlier they when when fans were putting out their own kiss conventions which are now called kiss expos um they this one show i went to in 92 um they had a dealer who had photo proofs from the first album cover uh and or from the first first album photo shoot and there was eight of them and they were all behind this this bulletproof plexiglass and um, the first four were sold to dealers before the show opened, and um, the other four were made available to the, the fans that came to the shows. And I, I was there probably all day long, and those those four um, things were still there throughout most of the day. If I'm not mistaken, you know, I don't think I bought the last one, but I ended up buying one of the proofs, and I actually brought it to uh, Ecker Drugs uh, when I lived in Miami, uh, and they. They made an 18 by 24 photo of that using that proof. And, you know, I told someone about that one time and they're like, are you crazy? You actually put it, left it in their hands. And I'm like, I didn't know any better, but I got it back and I still have it. And I got a really cool, I mean, it's a photograph. I have an 18 by 24 photograph and it's now currently signed by Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons. And so the next it's year I went cool. to. I've seen it. Yeah. Say what now? I, I mean, it's pretty cool. I've seen it. Yeah, so the next year I went back to the Kiss Expo again. I think the the following year had Eric Singer as one of the as one of the um, speakers. I don't know if it was that one or not. No, it may have been a couple of years later. But I, um, oh no, I had Peter Chris actually was one of the speakers, um, and he one of the dealers. As soon as I walked in, one of the dealers had purchased one of those pictures, and he made a twenty four by thirty six inch. Um, posters of one of, of his version of the cover and so I bought that and I have it signed by Paul Gene and Peter Peter signed it from that show so it was pretty pretty freaking cool um, I've never met Ace Freely so I don't have his autograph anywhere other than a photo that he sent me when I was part of his fan club um, so that's that's disappointing in that regards but it's so cool and then I have a small version of it it's like an 8 by 10 of a third different version of that cover and that one's framed and it has uh the picks the, the guitar picks that represent each member of the band even peter chris has one i got one from his solo tour that he used to hand them out 
Um, even though he plays drums, he would hand out guitar picks because they were pretty cool to hand out. So, anyhow. So, so 1973 to 1975. I mean, I think during that time period, the Kiss, the band, the four members of Kiss, probably were the most active as those as members of the band like when it came to recording playing all the parts etc right that was when they were the most unified as a group am i yes, am i wrong in saying, yeah they were together they were all in it for the same reasons um yeah i mean they they, they get a manager who believes in them and it's it's basically one of those all for one one for all type of things for the first two years or three years. I mean, basically the the first album comes out in the beginning of seventy four. So from from all of seventy four, all of seventy five, the band is is in it together and they're in it to basically you know it's we're either going to succeed or we're going to die trying, and you know they record three albums in uh you know a third I think it's a thirteen month span or eighteen month span or something like that, and that's insane. When you think about that, yeah, you know it was actually all three albums: Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dress to Kill were released were released within a thirteen month span. That, just think about that. What people can't even fart nowadays in a thirteen month span, let alone put out three albums. It's tough to you know? fart for thirteen months straight. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's insane, and it's. And the, you also realize when you start looking at the albums, like like Dress to Kill is only like I think thirty two minutes long. You know, nowadays that's an EP, and Th- thirty minutes and seven seconds. So you see that, and and it was funny because I was reading you know some notes on it, and they said that they put ex- the 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 space in between the songs was longer just to make the album feel longer. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, so you're talking, well, it's a 10-second gap in between songs just so you can feel like it's a longer album. I mean, that's how short it was. But, you know, the 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 record company, Casablanca, which basically Kiss was the first band signed to, to Casablanca, was in financial ruin at this point. Um, they didn't know what to do with Kiss because uh, Kiss, is, their shows were selling out. They were doing great on the road, and but no one could capture their sound, and no one was buying the music, uh, the you know the, the the records and tapes because it just wasn't connecting in that same way. And I and and I disagree with the fact that they say it's it was because you couldn't you couldn't capture our sound. I disagree with that because I think the first album sounded good, but it didn't have that live feel. The Second album was terrible in terms of production. And then the third album was actually done really, really well. But it's just a matter of you the, the energy's not there. I guess you could, you yeah, could put it I that mean, way. And that's kind of what Alive did was it gave them that, that crowd sound, the the illusion that they were live. And <laughs> I, I mean, it, that's it a is. a whole other conversation. Yeah, it, we all know kind of the backstory of that but i mean sounds were added etc things were changed re-recorded in the studio we we know that but like it still presents the sound of a live show and it captured people's attention and alive is what really in in some way saved kiss and i mean to some degree saved casablanca correct Yes, no, it definitely saved Casablanca. It definitely saved the band. Um, because at that point, it was like, well, we've gotten three albums. If, if we can't make this 
if he can't make it on this next one, there's just no point going on, you know? So, you know, a, a live was, it was definitely a testament to their live show. The energy is just incredible. That's coming off that record. I mean, it, you put that on today and you can still feel energy coming off of that record because mm-hmm. of the way that, that Paul, and the, and the band played in general, but the way Paul was just a front man and, and the, the things that he said and did throughout the songs was just incredible. Um, but that leads them. Okay. So now they have the success with this. They have a gold record with live because they didn't, at that time they weren't presenting platinum records. So, but they got a gold record and then they said, okay, well now it's time to put a new album out again. So now 1976 comes around. They're going to go record their album destroyer. They get a producer, Bob Ezrin, and they completely go away from the whole fact that they just did a live record, you know, not to say that they should have done a live album in the studio, but it's like, there's no, it's completely overproduced, but yet it worked for them. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a different direction for sure, but yeah, I mean, Destroyer was huge. Yeah. I mean, it worked and you know, to kind of put a to to kind of put a bow on the whole thing with nineteen seventy, you know, seventy three to seventy five. That you know, as as you said, that was the the time that they were most cohesive, most together. Now they have success at the end of nineteen seventy five, and that success uh, brings money, which now they have money flowing in their pockets, and. Um, you know, merchandise is starting to sell and certain things are starting to happen going into 1976 and the second half of their seventies career. If you want to put it that way, things change dramatically from this point forward. So, um, that's 73 to 75. The kiss army was born during that time. Crazy things happen. Now they're doing destroyer and you know, it's it's completely different. And do you have any comments to say about Destroyer? I mean, I know you've listened to the album and stuff like that. What do you think? So Destroyer to me is such a huge difference between what came before. You know, they were set, you know seventies rock, and this still is, but this is like arena kind of sounding to some degree. It's got Bob Ezrin's fingerprints on every song, pretty much. Um, you know, it's very like you said, very overproduced, but not in a bad way per se, because a lot of people love this album, but to me, it's like, it's this same kind of thing as when the band says, you know, like we, like we talked about Sepultura, right. With, 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 uh, chaos AD and then roots, they, they put out that album and they have a producer that says, look, like you guys are doing a good job, but let's, let's take this into the direction to become as, as um, pop culture as possible, right? Like this was going to be the album that defines you. And so every time that happens, when they get a producer in and there's someone that says like, let's do this and we're, you're going to be the biggest band ever. You're taking like that, that rawness and like the musicianship out of it to, to some extent and what's happening is you know you're becoming a machine you're becoming a product and that's really like to me destroyers that moment 
where and the, and like they went back to things with like Love Gun to me is less produced and I I really like that album, uh, Rock and Roll Over is is better to me that to than Destroyer, but like this is like the um, the pop culture moment I guess for Kiss, right? Um, absolutely. I mean you you're right on when you say all that and and it's funny because. Even Kiss began to realize it to some extent. I mean, they, they go on this Destroyer tour. They have, they're have they selling out everywhere. Um, it, it allows them to go, you know, uh, you know, overseas and stuff like that. You know, they're on television shows. They, they're featured on the Paul Lind Halloween, uh, Halloween special. Um, they're featured on, you know, uh, what is it? Um, uh Another show I forgot. Oh, they they did a couple years prior. They had they had done like a Dick Clark's in con uh, in concert type of things, things like that. So they're now you know on TV everywhere. People are starting to see who they are. You know, after after Paul Lynn's Halloween special, all of a sudden you know people were exposed to Kiss and like, whoa, this is that band that has makeup and the crazy shows and stuff like that, and, and people got to see who they were. You know. Destroyer afforded them that because one, it was a good album, and then two, you know, they released a single Detroit Rock City, but radio stations don't play it and they flip it over, and there's this ballad called Beth on the back, and all of a sudden it, it took off on radio and became a hit single for them. Um, so now you know, Peter Chris is, is you know, basking in the limelight, and he's you know, thinking, haha, I have a hit single, you guys don't. I mean, that's the kind of attitude he was having. You know about yeah, that. Yeah, he let it go to his like, head completely. Yeah, he he laid. And the funny thing is, is that you know, if you think about and listen to Paul Stanley talk about it, and even then, uh, he was having issues with with Stan Penridge, was who the guy who wrote the song. Um, you know, Stan wrote the song. Peter goes, can, "Can I get credit?" And so Stan's like, "Yeah, sure, whatever," right? And then Paul has to show Peter how to do some of the stuff in the studio. To, to be able to help do that song properly, you know, so it's, it's a crazy thought, you know, and, and yeah, it went to Peter's head and that he had su- the success and, and the band, you know, looked at him was like, yeah, it's one song, dude, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is the moment where things start to break down. Right. So, cause right. Well, things bro- started breaking down during, dis- during the making of destroyer. They brought in outside musicians that weren't credited that did a guitar solo here and did a bass line there, you know, and, yeah. and the things that weren't like for, as far as Gene and Paul were concerned, yeah, they were involved, you know? So uh, if a bass line would need to be redone, you know, I don't think Gene was completely adverse to it. Uh, I, it was just, I think it was just one of those things that just happened. You know, Bob's like, Hey, we, I, I did it because you know, you weren't here or whatever, you know, but it was mostly a Peter and an ACE problem. And, you know, sort of like uh, when you, when you watch Metallica's home videos, when they, when they were recording the black album and, and Bob Rock says, well, did you do your homework, Kirk? Did you do your homework on the guitar solo when he was doing, uh, I think the Unforgiven solo. And he's like, yeah. And he plays the worst solo ever. And I think that's what happened with Ace. You know, it's like, Hey, you know, come up with a solo. And Ace's like, yeah, whatever, Curly. And, put something out it was shit and so someone else did it over you know but that's where you start not being the band anymore and you're becoming a product and that's that's why you know that's what i said earlier because that's that's the truth i mean they're putting out what a marvel comic 
they're they're and you know just we talked about it earlier but not long from now they're gonna do the the kiss meets the the phantom of the park you know they're they're putting out merchandise now and it's they're becoming a machine the the years 1976 to 1978 were the most um lucrative i guess if you want to put it that way at the time for kiss um again they put out another three albums within i think a a 15 month span at that point you know they put out destroyer rock and roll over and love gun and rock and roll over and love gun they kind of went back to the roots they pulled in eddie kramer to produce it's very very raw sounding i really like the sound of rock and roll over more than love gun um but Regardless, they have these three albums, and then of course they 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 then put it together with Kiss Alive Two, and that's where I came into the picture in terms of my Kiss fandom. I saw the commercial, didn't know anything about them, but I saw this commercial with some guy spitting blood and fireworks blowing up everywhere, and some guys guitars just on smoking like crazy. I'm like, I, I go to my aunt, I go, can you buy me that? I had no idea what the music was. I had no clue whatsoever, but I thought it was the most awesome looking thing I've ever seen at that point in my life, you know? And so I convinced my aunt to buy me this double record. And then not only do I convince her to buy it for me, I force her to listen to it with me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, she's like, have you ever heard this? I'm like, no, but you're going to listen to it with me. And so she sat down for a while. I mean, the, the thing only runs an hour front to back, but, you know, she listened. I, she probably listened to like two sides with me, and I thought it was the best thing I had ever heard in my life. And from that day forward, I was a Kiss fan. You know, and all things Kiss at that point. You know, Kiss was just all over the place. I mean, they sucked me in, but they were the number one Gallup, you know, number one band in America according to the Gallup poll. Um, they they go to Japan. They're breaking attendance records set by the Beatles. You know, ten years earlier. Um, you know, they've they got now they've got platinum albums, they've got gold albums, everything is shipping, you know, gold and stuff like that. And the crazy thing about it is there's problems behind the scenes. Now they put Kiss Alive 2 out and they record a, a, a studio side four, and of, they've got five songs. Of the five songs, Ace Freely only plays on one. And so they have a ghost guitar player. Um, Peter Chris plays drums on it, so uh, I think I'm pretty sure he, he plays drums on on it. If not, it's, it's someone else. You know, it, it's just crazy. Now, this is not Kiss anymore, but no one knows it because they're keeping the facade up. You know, and things are starting to spiral. You know, so '78 is when everything kind of went sideways for Kiss. They released the four solo albums because. Peter and Ace wanted to go solo. So to appease them, they said, let's make solo albums. You know, they released Double Platinum, which is the greatest hits album. You know, it, it's things were, you, you're looking at it almost like the end of an era, basically. That's crazy. I mean, I'm looking at the credits of Alive 2, and it's got Bob Kulik playing lead guitar on All American Man, Rockin' in the USA, and Larger Than Life. So... Just already in '77, they're having you know some of this happen. Um, but you look at the credits of say, um, Love Gun, and for the most part, everything is still the band. 
And wasn't that the first one where Ace Freely sang? It yes. shocked me, right? So yeah, he did shock me. Now he was always contributing songwriting. He just but and he the didn't band sing. asked him to sing, yeah. but the, he just refused. Yeah, he was, you know. he was nervous and uncomfortable with it. I mean, he, he he laid down on his back in the middle of the studio to sing the the, the words to shock yeah. me. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's it's a funny story, you know. But yeah, that and shock me is just an amazing song. I mean, I love the guitar solo in that song. You know, Ace Frehley puts out one of his best guitar solos on that on that song, and I and, and it's one of my favorite Kiss songs to this day. So I mean, let's let's talk '78 then. So okay. they do the the solo albums, and like I get why they did it, but that's that's guaranteed to create some dissension because they're going to have you know different sales on all of them. Like you can't expect that everybody that's going to go buy the albums is going to buy all four, you know, people only have so much money or maybe they like one band member more than the others. They, they say, I, well, I don't really like the way that this guy sings. So I'm going to buy uh, Paul's album or I'm going to buy Gene's album. So they're going to see this. They're going to see those numbers. Like to me, this was a horrible idea. <laughs> well, I mean, so you have to look at the other side of the of the coin, bill a coin. Um, <laughs> you, wow. you have a band that you're <laughs> you're you're trying to keep your your cash cow together, right? Uh, yes. So you're you're appeasing two members of the of the band, you know, specifically one because it it was more Ace wanting to do a solo album, um, because now he feels comfortable. And, you know, he, he wants to sing and stuff like that. And Peter, he was just, you know, he thought that his shit didn't stink. And, and oddly enough, it was his, shat, his, it, his shit stank the it worst. It stank the worst. <laughs> so, but, you know, it gives everybody this, this freedom, you know, and they all did their own thing. Have you listened to those albums, by the way? I have. When we did... One kiss episode. I don't remember which one, um, but we, we ought to do an episode just about these four albums at some point. Um, <laughs> Very little time will be spent on Peter. Um. <laughs> but yeah, okay, it, as- it's an interesting thing. I think to me, the best one is probably Ace. Um, mm-hmm. I like Peter. I mean, I, Peter's. <laughs> I like Paul's um, to, to some extent. And then I've never been much for Gene. Um, I like a few of his songs, but I tend to like Paul and Ace voice better when it comes to singing. Paul, um, Peter, uh, Paul, Jesus Christ, <laughs> um, a- Ace's album, Peter, Paul, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Ace, yeah. Ace's albums is is the best of the four. I think but so. Paul Stanley's album is not that bad. It's it's really close. I mean, I really really enjoy. Um, Paul's album a lot. I, there's two songs that I really think are awesome that I would love for them to to like incorporate. But when I when Paul Stanley did his solo tour in 1989, he played a lot of those songs and he played those two songs that I'm talking about. One is uh, "Tonight You Belong to Me" and the other one is um, uh, "Love in Chains." Those two songs are awesome to me. Um, 
But Ace, Ace's solo album is just is spectacular. I mean, it, it just shows off all his songwriting skills, and it's a great album. So, so Paul and Ace is really, really close. Ace probably being a little bit higher. Gene Simmons drops off dramatically, but he still has some decent songs. And then Peters is like, it just fell off a cliff. He wanted to do his, you know, his rock and roll from the 60s and stuff like that. And it, it just, it was all over the place. It was uninspired. Um, I like one, uh, two songs from that album. Um, the song called I Can't Stop the Rain, which is kind of like a ballad. And then uh, Hooked on Rock and Roll. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, three songs because Hooked on Rock and Roll. And then there's a Tossing and Turning, which is a cover. You know, it's not a bad song. But it's you know it's been done and 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 Peter did an okay version nothing to write home about, but it was done. Is it, is it a bad idea? I I agree with you because you know then all of a sudden now, Ace Frehley's like well shit mine was the best selling album you know I should get more input on the next Kiss album. Peter you know was defeated at this point, but he was so far into spiraling into drugs and alcohol. You know, that he didn't really care. Yeah. He just thought he was the best guy in, in Kiss, and he just kept threatening Kiss left and right. You know, I'll quit, I'll quit, I'll quit. And Kiss basically said, fuck off, you know. And and we go into 1979 with a whole new attitude between all four guys. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty huge change. Um, I mean, Dynasty, obviously the biggest thing that most fans think of is I was made for loving you. And that's, I mean, that's a, pretty big deal because i mean up until that point they were just a rock band and then they put out a a disco hit um but so here so here's the thing real quick about that right you heard you heard the album yeah okay the album itself is not a disco album no it's just that one song it's the one song so here's the funny thing so i'm you know i'm a kid i'm 10 years old when this album comes out and you know, I was sitting in the front porch of my house in Yonkers, and I'm listening to this album, and people would drive by, or not, not drive by, excuse me, they would either ride their bike by, or they would walk by my house, hear me playing these songs, like, what are you listening to, man? And I'm like, Kiss. And they're like, oh, man, Kiss sucks. They sold out. They're disco now. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, so what? Right? It's one song, but you, you can't sit there and, and, and get into an argument with a teenager that you don't know and sit there and say, oh, this is, this is just one song. You know, what about X-Ray Eyes? What about Hard Times? What about this song? You know, you know, it's <laughs> what like, about Hard Times? Nothing wrong. <laughs> you know, so it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, what about the rest of the catalog? They're still playing that. You know, it's just a stupid argument. Oh, they turned disco. No, they didn't turn disco. Listen to the album. You can't make that argument with a lot of people. They just get this one thing in their head, and then that's that's all it is. But the, we we know right. the truth. Like the rest of the album is not disco. However, it did put that imprint in people's heads, and that's why there was that argument. I mean, it was it was meant to, and it it, it was successful. That song was a disco song. I was made for loving you was a disco song. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. It did what it was supposed to do. It put Kiss. You know, it continued Kiss's success. It put them in into a different category of fandom out there where now they've reached across a different aisle, okay? 
and they were now being played in nightclubs. There was an extended remix that had longer drums and that, that whole pattern was going on. So yes, it, it achieved what it was supposed to achieve. And then, you know, the fans just dropped off because the hardcore fans were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> you know, and even I said, like, what the fuck is this? But I still liked it because I grew up on dance. I grew up on disco. I grew up on R&B from the 70s. You know, so it, it to me, it was still cool. It's just, okay, you look at the the, the songwriting credits or or just even the, the track listing of the first part of the album. If I Was Made For Loving You and then 2000 Man, which is a Rolling Stones cover. So you're, you're already like... You know, you start off with a disco track and then a cover. It's kind of a weird way to start things. Um, it is, but you know what? Me as a kid had no freaking clue that that was a Rolling Stones song. Yeah, granted, and and not a bad song either. No, it's it again. It's not, but I can see how somebody might go. Well, what are they doing? You know, um, you know oh, they yeah. have Vinnie Poncia writing on. Uh, sure know something stan penridge comes back and works with peter chris again for dirty living this only song he plays drums on of course fans don't know that at this point anton fig is playing you know all the drums for this and anton fig was the drummer on um aces album Ace yeah. so you know th- there's this is already off to a rough start as far as cohesiveness with this band you know howard marks writing with Gene Simmons uh, for Charisma. And then finally, for the rest of the album, you have a song by uh, Paul, excuse me, you have a song by Paul Stanley, uh, Ace Frehley, Gene Simmons, and then Ace Frehley. Ace obviously has much more input on this album. So he is indulging more into being part of the band, even though he's, you know, doing more drugs and, you know, living his life the way he wants to live it. He's still at least being part of the band. So Peter well, Peter's yeah. dropping off big time though at this point. Well, Peter's dropping off and and you know, he's again spiraling out of control with drugs and alcohol and you know, look, the Kiss hires Vinny Poncia to do the record because they want to appease Peter and even Vinny turns around and says, "You know what? Peter's not fucking capable of doing this album. They hire ain't we got to get an outside drummer cuz Peter's not going to cut it." You know, and so they, that's how that's one of the big reasons why they got Anton. And, you know, with with Vinny, the person who was closest to Peter, basically saying, you know what, Peter, you're not worth it. You know, of course, it, it, it then made Peter feel even worse, you know, and he's thinking that his shit don't stink because, you know, he had the big hit single just two, three years earlier. Yeah. But still, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it, it it was definitely a decline from the band. And the tour that followed was not that great. Even though it was huge, it was the return of KISS. KISS played New York. I remember they played, I think, three nights in Madison Square Garden. People were asking me if I was going to go over the summer, you know, because I had friends that were at day camp and they went. But I, you know, my aunt didn't know anything about concerts and she wasn't about to let me go at 10 years old. So. That was a no go, <laughs> but you know the the tour was what it was, and you know it it solidified the fact that they no longer wanted Peter in the band either. <laughs> that, that didn't help. Yeah, I mean Dynasty <laughs> shows that right. Dynasty comes yeah. out, and uh, it, Peter's not on the album. 
he's credited, but he's not on the album. Um, right. You know, Vinnie Poncia writes pretty much every song with, with every member of the band. Um, and then, you know, it's it's pretty equal, right, with the, with the, the track listing with uh, Paul Stanley on vocals, Gene Simmons on vocals, and Ace Frehley. So it's really just those three guys working with producers at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, this was free, Ace's most output. He got three songs on it, two two originals and the one cover. You know, Paul's got uh, three songs and Gene only had two. Um, and then there's Peter's uh, song. You know, but Gene's two are pretty cool. I mean, I, I like Charisma and I like X-Ray Eyes, you know. But regardless, it's, it's one of these things where you can see that things change dramatically sound-wise. It's a cool-sounding record. Um, you're, you're talking about but, Dynasty. Yes, Dynasty. Um, you know, it, it's it's a cool-sounding record, and you could just sense that things are changing for the band because it, it is so different, per se. Um, but, you know, the following year, again, you're used to Kiss putting stuff out like every few months, but now, you know, you have this tour, and now you have an, uh, uh, there's, there's um, rumors of a new album. And there's rumors that Kiss is going to unmask because it was like, what's next for Kiss? You know, after after this album, you know, they're, now they're disco. So now they've got new fans. What's next? Unmasked is next. It's uh, It reminds me of, so that when I was a kid and I was really into wrestling. Um, and I, I mean, I still enjoy it, but. You know that was the heyday, right? And they had the wrestler Kane, and there was a there was a toy that was it said, you know, this will reveal the true face of Kane if you buy it, right? And so you buy it, and they unmasked him, and it was a mask underneath. And <laughs> that's the same. Th- I wonder where they got that the idea from. <laughs> same thing they did with unmasked. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was weird. So unmasked. Now, now, if you listen to unmasked, I would put that to be more disco-ish than Dynasty. Yeah. You listen to songs like Shandy. Is that you know Shandy is definitely it's you know pop rock. That, yeah. It's pop rock. It's danceable. Um, you know, is that you? It's supposed to be hard, but when you listen to the production, it kind of made it sound danceable so it was tough because you have this production again from Vinnie Poncia and he's making it sound slick way too so you know it was disco slick and it wasn't it wasn't hard edge it wasn't like you know rock and roll over it wasn't like love gun it, it was slick and that's the only way you could put it, it was, you almost feel like if you you know you put your head your hand through your hair you're going to get oil on your hair you know, it that's how slick it was. But here now, Peter is has nothing to do with this album whatsoever. No songs, no nothing. It's a it's it's the end of Kiss, basically, at this point. Well dur- during all the the uh what do you call it? Like the, the press for this album. Wasn't this when Peter Chris left or was fired or left the band and then Eric Carr was on T V? where they introduced him as the new drummer. Yes. So basically um, at this point, you know, they start recording 
unmasked. Um, it features zero contributions from Peter. Um, and the funny thing is the way that the songs were performed and recorded and performed, the, the individual singer and slash songwriter of the song was the one who performed all the instruments on the song, except for like, you know, Paul can play drums, but he got Anton to play drums. Um, Peter, no input. Paul uh, Ace Freely, you know, he brought all the songs. He played all the parts except for drums. Anton did that. And then Gene, same thing. Um, he played his bass parts. I believe he can play some guitar, but I don't think he's as accomplished as the other guys. So he brought in a, um, another guitar player. So, so what you're saying, like if, if Ace had a song, like say Talk To Me, he did all the parts on that except for the drums? Yeah, he played the bass, he played the lead guitar, he played the rhythm guitar. So they're not sang. even a band at this point. They're just... <laughs> exactly. So, you know, um, Peter is then officially fired on May 18th, 1980, basically right before they were going to go on tour. So they literally scrapped whatever tour they were going to go on because now they have to go find a drummer. Peter made it hard for them to keep him in the band. And so literally they fired a guy and said, okay, by the way, you're fired. Okay, this is going to be your last time with us, but we need you to do this video for us. <laughs> <laughs> they did that twice. They did it with Ace really too, but they didn't fire Ace. Ace quit. So so Peter is like, okay, I'll do the video. He does the video and leaves. He takes his makeup case and goes. Okay, never to be seen from again until 1995, <laughs> <laughs> 96. <laughs> um, they do one show in the United States. It's the Palladium show that introduces Eric Carr as a drummer. I it, so they introduce Eric Carr on a TV show called Kids or People Two. Which already that right there tells you Kiss is a completely different thing because it wasn't on the news, it wasn't a press conference. They went on a kids show, yeah, and introduced Eric Carr as their new drummer, the Fox, on a kids show called Kids Are People Too. I watched that show when it. See, aired. I didn't watch it when it aired, obviously, but I did. No, you, you, you were still in your dad's balls at that point. Wow. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> the uh, the way I've heard it is I, I wasn't even a gleam in my father's eye. Um, so, um, yeah, I didn't watch it then, but I have seen it since. It's on YouTube. And I remember the kids pretty much trying to only ask questions about Peter. You know, where's Peter? What is Peter doing? You know, and, and Gene's getting mad and trying to change the subject. Yeah. <laughs> It was it, it was a tough one, that's for sure. Um, so they play they play the one song, um, uh, the one show at the Palladium in New York City. Um, they got footage from that. Um, Eric Carr's the Fox. He's in makeup, full full things. The Kiss tours Europe, Australia, New Zealand, hugely successful. I mean, they were like returning kings when they went to Australia, um, and and that and that's crazy when you because you can see the footage online um it's that that was like beatlemania all over again when kiss went to australia um and it was wild i mean i have videos from it i you know there's a concert from it it's super cool um crazy as as all get out i mean stage was kind of weird um for the for them but it was you know like it was like a mix between you know the dynasty set and the and you know and the the whole colorfulness of 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 unmasked and, so, and shit like that so it it was a pretty interesting year for them in that regards um but 
1981 would be fucking disaster. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the Elder. Yeah, I'm talking about that. So the Elder is a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist, and, and <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a different one. You know, it's a concept album. Um, you know, it's you have to go in expecting it to be what it is, and if you think of it in that regard, then I think you'll get more out of it. But even then, there's not very many really good songs. <sighs> well, it's kind of sad that this is. I disagree Eric's... with that with that statement. But go on, finish. What you I have mean, to there's say. a few good songs like the world. Uh, or it was a world without heroes. Um, the oath mm-hmm. itself is not too bad. There was a couple others that I remember, but it's not. It's not like super listenable. You know, it's 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 something that you have to think of in a different way when you go into it. And if and if you approach it as what it is, you know, with with knowing that it has, you know, a concept behind it, it has an orchestra or or at least orchestral elements like it's it's okay. It's a progressive rock album. It's something different, but it's not what you would expect from Kiss. At least not at this point. No, and and this is where this is why I say it was a disaster. Besides the, all those things you just mentioned, so you know you get interviews in magazines and stuff like that. So they're interviewing Eric Carr. And it's like, all right, so when are you going to make a new album? Oh, we're working on a new album now. It's gonna, it's a, you know, it's a, it's gonna be the like the hardest stuff, the hardest rocking album we've done <laughs> yet. And Paul and Gene say the same thing, right? Um, and that was the original intent. They were supposed to put together a, a hard rock album, basically what Creatures was. There was that's what they were supposed to do, but then somehow, some way, they got a bug up their ass to do this movie, and so they get this movie and they put this together, this script, and they say, "Okay, now we're going to do the music for the movie." And they put this elder thing together, and you know, as a kid, I go out and I buy this record, and the first thing I notice is it's a different record company. Uh, you know, it's a weird thing to to notice as a kid. I'm I'm 12 years old. I realize, wait a second, why is this being released on Polygram Records? You know, with a little Casablanca logo in the corner. It's like completely different. So I I know that. Then I, I put it on and I I listen to the Oath. It starts off with the Oath. All right, so it's super pro- it's super produced again by Bob Ezrin. Um. Uh, the Oath is not bad. And all of a sudden, you hear in these falsetto parts from Paul. It's not a bad song, but then it goes into this interlude, um, and I am just a boy. <laughs> like, what yeah, the one, hell is this? You know, so, it, it it throws you off. I am just a boy. I mean, it's just like what? what? Yeah, the, one of the shows I, I mentioned this to you the other day, but there was a cartoon called Home Movies, um, which I was a huge fan of when I was younger, but. Uh, it had a lot of parodies of movies and stuff like that, and there's a song in there that that completely par- uh, parodies "Just a Boy," and I didn't know that until way <laughs> later when I obviously like when I listened to this album and I was like, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> no. So, so here's my thing: "Dark Light" is a good song. "The Oath" is a good song. That one's cool. "World Without yeah, Heroes" is a good ballad. Cool. Um, "I" is a good song. It's one of the few songs where Paul and Gene trade 
vocals sort of like shouted out loud. Um, the one thing I can say about the record, and, and this is this is this reveals a lot about how I deal with music. This is why I can listen to Saint Anger and still like it. <laughs> because I I I don't I take the band out of it. You want to put it that way? Like I I, I don't listen to it say, oh, this is KISS. I listen to it as what am I listening to? Does it sound good? Do the vocals sound good? Are the lyrics good? Are the you know is the music good in general? And I think as 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 an overall product, it is okay. It's not the best. It's okay. It has some good highlights, and it has some lowlights. So then you sit there and you slap Kiss on it, and you're like, "Whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> what do you mean this is Kiss?" I mean, not like I don't know what Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and Ace Frehley sound like, right? But it's like, what do you mean this is Kiss? Yeah. Why are we doing this? Okay. And so when you take the Kiss out of it, it's not horribly bad. I've heard worse. Okay. When you put Kiss back into it and you're like, what are you doing? Why is this happening? That's where the disconnect comes from. You know, and, and the decisions behind it is just like, what? made you think that after you fired your drummer and you bring in this young guy who blows Peter Chris out, out of the water a million times, what makes you think you're going to put together a freaking soundtrack for a freaking movie? You know, this is why, this is why we're having this conversation. The decisions that this band made throughout the years is freaking puzzling and mind-boggling. Some worked, some didn't. Uh, this this one was sheer ego. I mean, honestly, they thought that they could put together a, a movie with a movie soundtrack, and didn't have the foresight to have any of the movie done. Like it's the complete opposite of what you would you would typically do. It's the complete opposite. Like, yeah, like sometimes songs were made for movies, but they usually have an idea of what they're doing. Like, you know, this one was not good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And it's it's kind of sad that, like, this was the first album for Eric Carr to me because it's, it's not a good start. And obviously this is what kind of leads to to um, Ace leaving. And I think Ace and Peter... Sorry, not Peter. Ace and Eric could have had, you know, a good relationship in this band had they not gone in this direction, maybe gone towards, like, Creatures of the Night instead. Here's the crazy part about that, right? They, you know, they they had no choice but to promote the shit out of it. Yeah. Right? They released this, and they've got no choice but to do pr- promotion. They were everywhere. They were in every single teeny bopper magazine you could think of. They were in every single music magazine you could think of. These, their pictures, the photo shoots. I don't know how long the photo shoots lasted, but the pictures are endless <laughs> from these photo shoots. Endless. Okay. To this day, there's still fucking pictures coming out that people haven't seen. You know, and they were everywhere. 
And then all of a sudden, now they're on Casey's top 10 with the World Without Heroes, the, the video. I mean, they, they, they're printing out videos before MTV existed at this point. Okay. And World Without Heroes is one of those videos. Um, they're on Casey's top 10. You know, uh, for those who don't know, Casey Kasem was an old DJ who had, you know, Casey's uh, America's Top 40 radio show every weekend. Um, and then he put a, a TV show, which was the top 10 version of that 40, that top 40. And he would highlight bands and play videos during the show. I think it was an hour, uh, hour long doing 10 songs. It was pretty cool. I mean, but that was the kind of thing that you did back then. Uh, they had Solid Gold, which was a disco show. They they, they were they're putting World Bell Heroes on that. And then um, they had Fridays, which was basically, I think, a Canadian version of Saturday Night Live. Uh, on Friday nights, it was a live, you know, comedy skit show, just like SNL. And Kiss was the was the featured band on this show. They played three live songs, three songs from the album live. It was legit live. Um and they did some stupid comedy routine with the people in the in the audience that like they brought in this old couple probably in their 60s late 60s early 70s and they were supposed to be like the hugest kiss fans that would follow the band from all over the country <laughs> it was just watching them read off the teleprompter it was hilarious but you know they played the songs live they promoted the shit out of this for nothing because 3 months later the album's dead in the water and they've got nothing. They're pr- I mean, pretty much, right? Like the <sighs> so much effort for so little payoff. There was no payoff whatsoever, nothing. So the band has to has to you know what do we do now? Well, what do we do now is they were told <laughs> they need to come up with a fucking album. So um, so kill. Talk to me about Killers because I don't know a whole lot about that. So Killers is in between Creatures of the Night and Music from the Elder. Uh, I want to say at this point, um, Ace Freely is still in the band, right? Yes, Ace Freely is still in the band at this point. Um, the the songs there was four songs. Basically, this is a greatest hits album that came out. Uh, in Europe and it came out internationally, Europe and Japan, nothing in the United States. Um, four new songs. Uh, there was basically the record company, their international record company phonogram wanted them to kind of restart their career, you know, kickstart it all over again and say, Hey, you, you failed at this. So let's get back to what you're, you're, you know. So it was kind of, kind of making up for the elder. Okay. Trying to, yeah. So, um, you know, phonogra- uh, phonogram that the record company is kind of like, all right, so we're putting out a greatest hits. They edited the songs, some of the songs. I mean, they literally, they edited out all the, the, the intro to Detroit Rock City. So when you listen to Detroit Rock City, it goes straight to the to the guitar solo. I mean, not the solo, the guitar intro. Hmm. There's no keys. And it's funny because... It's at, like when you listen to it on on Destroyer, it builds. It it kind of fades in. Do 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 do. You know, it, no. This one starts off full blast. Dan and 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 and. Dig 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 dig. Dan You know. So it it's kind of cool because you don't have to listen to the you know the two minutes of Gene doing a fake news report. You know, and then you know the the car driving. All that's gone. But it's funny. You can hear the car in the background during parts of the song that have the car in it hmm. uh, or the truck, whatever you want to call it. So then, and then the end is also, you know, a real quick, 
kind of and they, they there's a couple of mixes and i don't know why they constantly remix shit during their greatest hits albums but anyway um killers i didn't know about killers for years and then all of a sudden you know i hear there's a japanese import and i'm like hey where did, where did these four songs come from um but yeah that was what it was it was basically a way for for the record company to get kiss's name back out there in a positive light but it was only internationally. So in the United States, it was there was nothing. Um, Kiss Killers, you know, in Japan was was pretty popular, you know, and those four songs were pretty good. I mean, uh, they're typical Kiss kind of songs, you know, uh, Down on Your Knees, Nowhere to Run, I'm a Legend Tonight, and Partners in Crime. Partners in Crime, probably the weakest song out of the four. Um, I like Down on Your Knees, and I like I'm a Legend Tonight. And Nowhere to Run's catchy. Partners in Crime not, is just the worst out of the four. <laughs> but I bought it. Uh, shit, I had to find. I, I mean, I saw it. It was an import. So it was like $15. You know, most records were nine nine bucks. This was 15 In some places, 20 You know, and if you were, if you were, depending on the importer, some of them were the German imports with the funky S that Kiss uh, had for, for the German releases. Yeah, to um, avoid But I, I ended up getting... I think my killers is a German, and my CD is Japanese. Interesting. Okay. So, that that is the story behind killers. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Ace is not on it. Um. So it says he he was on the album, lead guitar, vocals, acoustic guitar on Shandy, all guitars and bass on Talk to Me. But that's it. Yeah, those, those are all the the the. So I guess I mean if he's on the four songs. Okay, so Bob Kulik played lead guitar on Legends Tonight on the four songs. Yeah. So, so, so um, Ace is so yeah. So only on Ace the is not on the, stuff. Yeah. Right. Ace is on the basically the 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 greatest hit stuff, which is all stuff that he was already on to begin with. Yeah. So so yeah, you know, so Bob Kulik plays guitar, um, all the lead guitars. Obviously, a- Paul Stanley's doing all the rhythm guitars on everything. Anton Fig, uh, no, well, Eric Carr was a drummer. Anton Fig only just played the stuff that was on Dynasty and Unmasked. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it was uh, kind of interesting. Oh yeah, God of Thunder also without the intro, so it didn't have the little kitty part with the the high vocals. It was it was an interesting release to say the, to say the the least about it. So I guess it takes us into Creatures of the Night. And Creatures of the now Night that is really cre- good. Creatures in the, is, is fantastic. What what do you think about Creatures in that whole time period? So, I mean, I think the 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 mixing's really good. Uh um this obviously shows off how good of a drummer Eric Carr was. Um I mean, I think he's the only member of the band that actually appears on every song. Um I mean, we talked about it, you know, some of this stuff like Creatures of the Night itself this is a really good song. I think it has only uh, Eric Carr on drums and Paul Stanley on vocals, and all the other instrumental parts are played by other people. Um, that that's one that Vinnie Vincent's not even on. Obviously, this is Vinnie Vincent's first um, recording effort with the band, but he's not credited. Uh, Ace Frehley is still credited as lead guitarist. Um, but they've got, you know, um, gosh, what's the guy's name? Um, 
There's a, a, a guitarist that appears on Creatures of the Night. Well, there's there's Robin Ford, the blues guitarist. Uh, Steve Ferris plays lead guitar on Creatures. That's right. Mike Porcaro plays bass on Creatures. Yes. Um, so it, it it's crazy. Adam Mitchell plays additional guitar on Creatures and the end guitar lick, which is kind of weird. Like, so you get this one guy just going, you know, that's literally <laughs> that's it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, not even Vinny's on Creatures of the Night, the the, the song. Yeah, but he appears um, on so, most yeah. of the songs on the album. You know, and and he's not an official member of the band at this point. But um, this is one of the two albums that has him as a member. Um, he's still he's still Vincent Cusano at this point. Oh, okay. He wasn't Vinnie Vincent at this point. He wasn't Vinnie Vincent at this point. Uh, I mean, you see it you see it on Wikipedia. It says Vincent as his last name, but um, it's all it's all the credits go to Cusano. Oh, um, okay. So he he wasn't. So at this point, he's not known to the Kiss uh, army. Or to the Kiss fandom at all. I mean, everybody, all they see when this album comes out, they see this really cool cover with these glowing eyes, um, you know, and then they see Ace Freely on the cover. They see Ace Freely on the video for I Love It Loud, and he's doing promotional stuff, and they even have him um, in his elder outfit playing guitar on, on some stuff. But then when they go to do some European promotional stuff, Ace Freely is nowhere to be found because he was gone at that point. Um, so they, they just said he was sick and he couldn't appear. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, basically. So so Vinnie Vincent doesn't really appear until they go on tour. So promotionally, there's um, uh, it's all Ace Freely. Even though he doesn't play a damn lick on the album, that's that's so interesting because it's like you're you're gaslighting the fans, and I I hate using that words, but but it really is like you're tricking the fans into thinking that this this is a cohesive unit, and Ace is here, and he's you know he's part of the band, and then they go on tour, he's not there, he's not Dude, he's not a member. It is the weirdest thing because you know. I lived through that. And it's just, it's very odd. You don't, you know, and especially because there's no internet back then. So this is 1982. So there's no internet. There's, you know, uh, computers were for, for IBM and, 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 and rocket scientists. That stuff is not on our radar. And I'm 13 years old when this comes out. I just became a teenager and your favorite band finally comes back with a rock and album and you hear this album. And when you listen to it, it's very cohesive. It's done extremely well in terms of the songs blend into each other. You don't get this idea that it's recorded here, recorded there. You don't, you don't get this idea that all these parts are, are, are basically jumbled together. It's very slick production. Michael James Jackson was the producer, did a great job. Um, but you know, you don't know this as a fan. You don't know that 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 Ace is gone. You don't even hear rumors at this point. You know, it's just weird. Well, because they did a really good job of presenting it, like they were together. a unified unit. Yeah, unified, I get yeah. it. You know, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, uh, 
who's this guy with this gold cross on his face? <laughs> you know? That um, is the one thing that I, I have to say. Vinny had the worst makeup of the whole group. Well, even he, even worse than Chris Peter Chris's first album cover version of the of the cat. Like the Ankh also, warrior was bad. <laughs> well, so you got an Ankh warrior. What does Ankh mean? Right? I mean, it's an Egyptian symbol. And it's a I, symbol. I can't remember specifically what it means, but uh, but it, it's just it's a symbol. And to me, you know, it's it's a symbol, and then. You, you, it's so the he has key a symbol of life it. is the symbol meaning. Right. So an Ankh warrior, it, 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 it was probably the worst thing that they could come with, up with. But I bet you anything, 99% of that, that was Vinnie Vincent saying, this is what I want to be. Fine. Probably. I, and I would think so. <laughs> I, so I, I know like after Vinnie leaves the band or is fired, right? Then it becomes really, truly the Paul and Gene show. You know, they even you you watch the music videos. They don't focus on the other band members hardly at all after that point, because it's like they feel like they've been screwed around, I guess. You know, the, you, have, you have Ace gone, you have Peter gone, Vinny's gone you know at this at this point and it's like we're the only really like continuous members of the band so you watch like the video for tears are falling and you see um uh bruce kulik like in the background pretty much you never really see the camera focus on him you almost never see eric and it's just the two of them back and forth back and forth back and forth and I know I'm getting kind of ahead of myself on this one, but like, yeah, I think that's one of the things that happened. You have this, these constant changes and then the mindset of Paul and Gene changed. And it's like, this is our product. Yeah. Everybody else is just along for the ride. Well, I mean, in, in a way, it's kind of weird to say it this way. In a way, they don't have a choice. You, you are now... Paul and Gene are now the, the the partnership. They are they are Kiss. The other two guys are now hired guns. Eric yeah. is contracted. You know, and then mind you, he's a permanent member. And maybe and he they has, have it. He has like the best attitude when it comes to being a member of that band too. Like yeah. he is, he is wanting to. He wants to be part of Kiss. He, oh yeah, absolutely. He genuinely wants to be part of Kiss and contribute as much as he can. Right, and and that's the sad part too when you go like because he was so into it, but yet they they barely ever did anything with his him. They didn't take a lot of his contributions other than his playing. I mean, his playing was amazing, but songwriting wise, I mean, unless they just didn't think it was good enough, and we don't know that backstory whatsoever. But he only had I think two songwriting credits the entire time that he was in Kiss. Yeah. So and he only sang one time, which was on Hot in the Shade. You know, so. You're not. I don't even think you're getting ahead of yourself because there's, there's. That's all that whole '80s thing. So, so let's, so let's. All right, we got to this point right here. Right, we've got. We we went from unmasked, um, and into the elder. So let's look at it this way: '70s Kiss, um, obviously put, put, Kiss on the map. That it, that that's what how they became a household name to me. '70s Kiss was 1974 to 1978. I, I kind of jumble 
Dynasty and Unmasked together. That was kind of like 1980, if I want to look at it that way. So like when 78 was done and and the, the solo albums came out, that was the end of that era. It is absolutely definitive, definitive, you know, dividing line between that era and what comes next. And the decisions that were made in the 70s were all, for the most part, very good decisions. It brought the band the success that they needed to bring. And the success is what kind of steered Kiss down the wrong path, which is where we're at now. Agree? Disagree? Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. The success, like uh, that Alive to Destroyer period is the the turning point for that band. From being a cohesive unit that all is just trying to become successful and trying to to kind of like find their footing to pretty much, not, not overnight success, but like a, a massive leap forward, I guess. And then there's just a distinctive change where, you know, the, the members are, they have success, they have money and they don't have that cohesiveness. They're not, there's no hunger to get there anymore. They're just there and they're indulging in every indulgence they can find. Yeah. And the, the mindset of Ace and Peter was so drastically different than what, Paul and Gene were who were trying to reach that next step, reach that next step. I mean, Gene is not long for um, this being his only pursuit. Like he would, he would move on to trying to become an actor, you know, and, and he's still always trying to reach that next level. So he's still trying to find success where Ace and, and Peter were like, we found it. Let's enjoy it. You know? And, and that's the difference. And that's that mindset. When you listen to the interviews with these guys, there's this drastic difference in mindset where it's like, we were the band, we were the guys, you know? And, and Paul is always like, I'm trying to find that next level. I'm an artist. I I don't have time to sit on my laurels. And that's, I think that's the big difference. That's, that's what the difference between the seventies and the eighties is for sure. So the other thing that I that I the way I look at it too is there the eighties kiss when you think about eighties kiss you de, you define it as the unmasked era, okay? And eighties kiss really is you know eighties eighty three through ninety two uh, during the during, to the revenge portion. Um, the to me. I, I like to include Creatures of the Night in 80s Kiss, and it should be included in 80s Kiss because it's 80s. But I look at Dynasty Unmasked and The Elder as like lost. That was the lost period for Kiss. When I think of 70s Kiss, I think of, you know, Kiss through the, uh, Alive 2. Okay. You know, that and that's just the way I see it. I, know, I kind the, of think of it more in like... Kiss through Alive, and then um, uh, Destroyer through Alive Two. Right. I mean those those two periods of time. But yeah. when I just look at seventies Kiss in general, like when you say, "Oh, seventies Kiss versus eighties Kiss," I look at seventy four through seventy eight. I don't even think about seventy nine, eighty, and eighty one, right? And then eighties Kiss, I look at it as you know creatures creatures to revenge. Uh, 
you know, because that's really what it is. It's that 10-year period right there. So, and it's funny because you got 10 years of that, right? And then you only have literally four years, maybe even three and a half of what happened. I mean, think about that in your mind. It's four years and mostly just three. 74, 75, so it's four years. 75, 76, 74, excuse me. 75, 76, and 77. Because they didn't do shit in 78 other than the movie. Those four years were, I mean, blazing fast. Yeah. And there, I think that's what sits in the minds of a lot of people. Because I mean, there was so crazy. much in that short period of time. It's insane how much shit happened in that time. Yeah. You know, today... If 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 that same thing would have happened to Kiss today, and that first album's a failure, and that second album's a failure, they're done. They're 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 dead in the water. Pretty much, yeah. You know, it, it, that that's just amazing to think of. No one's going to spend that time. But it's what's funny is it's not. They didn't even spend time. When you think about how fast it was, it was like you know the first album comes out, they they do some promotional stuff, and the album's not selling. All right, we need you to make another record. Nowadays, to try to get as much out of you as possible, but if you don't, if that second record doesn't do anything, you're done. So, Kiss and Hotter Than Hell, that would have been it for Kiss. Say, mind you, in today's standards, that would have lasted two years, two full, complete years, maybe even three. Maybe three, yeah. You know, but back then, you were talking three albums in thirteen months. (laughs) Think about that, and then the next three albums in fifteen months. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, we've talked about that before. You don't go on press tours back then. It's not the same. Now it's like a whole machine that has to, to keep going, right? So. Well, I mean, you went on press tours back then, but they, they, they weren't these It wasn't you know, the same long thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not yeah. the same. So when you said you were jumping head, I, I don't really look at it as jumping head because that, that whole period of time, you know, Creatures comes out, but. It doesn't do anything. In reality, it was mildly successful, but not necessarily the success that the band was thinking that they were going to get from such a very strong album. It wasn't until the next year and the events of that next year that things changed for the band. And that would be Lick It Up, right? Yeah. So Lick It Up, I guess, is the first album with Vinnie Vincent fully as a member um you know the fans see you know who these guys are um you know they drop the makeup uh so they had the onk warrior for only just a short amount of time so fans of the onk warrior uh lament you know um um so, I mean, it's a big difference. Uh, Those were the good old days of the Yonk Warrior. The good old days. <laughs> but, that, um, but realistically, it's very different. I mean, it, you're dropping your whole mystique at this point and saying, you know, here we are. This, these are our faces. We, we're, you know, a different band, essentially. That's, that's huge. What did you, like, you lived through it. So what did you think at that time? I thought, damn, these motherfuckers are ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
it was it was quite a surprise, but it was something that you know obviously had been hinted at since 1980, even though it technically was never truly being hinted at. Um, it was quite a surprise. I was happy to see that it happened, but at the same time, you know, you you don't know why it's happening. You just know that your favorite band is dropping the makeup and they're, they said, we're going to let the music stand for itself. And they did. And look it up. It was a damn strong album. I really wish that creatures of the night, I, I don't know. It, it, it kind of, it couldn't happen without the make, you know, without the makeup, it had to have the makeup on it, but I wish that they didn't have the makeup so people could see how good that album was. Because it got buried on the fact that people didn't like Kiss anymore. You know, it was an old act. You know, so it, now... It lost some of the, the steam, some of the, the mystique by that point. And, I, I I mean, what, like, Elder probably didn't help things. The people no. that were holding on were losing steam. And then they put out another rock album where they're still wearing the, the makeup. And it doesn't it doesn't push the needle at all but then this does this it is should, surprising and the thing is it should have pushed it should have pushed the needle because that's a really good album no i i agree but it just it didn't like that's the reality right. of it and so then taking off the makeup putting out a really good album you know vinnie vincent was huge here realistically because the album really benefited from him coming in and and writing a lot of the songs at this point gene is kind of starting to check out so him coming in and giving that that fresh take on things and obviously the tour that followed didn't go very well and and Vinnie Vincent would end up getting fired but at that time he was integral into keeping the band alive I I agree I mean if it if it's not for Vinnie Vincent Kiss the songs are not what they are and I, I give him that. I mean, he is a great songwriter. It's unfortunate he couldn't he couldn't apply that to his own band, <laughs> but um, for Kiss, he was a great songwriter. And you know, the songs that he put on Creatures, the songs that he put on Lick It Up, are outstanding. Well, I think I think the problem is that Vinnie Vincent and Paul Stanley wrote together a lot, right? They, I mean, most of the songs on the album have the two of them as as credit so he didn't have when he did his solo stuff he didn't have paul there to kind of edit he didn't have him to keep him in check and so those songs are a little bit overblown they're a little bit overdone it's like the same kind of mentality as um you know peter chris to some degree like he needed somebody to humble him and right and keep him in check so you know i think they worked well, well together it's just Vinnie Vincent's tour behavior was not very good and it that affected no. him. Yeah. No, his his live stage behavior was just a little questionable. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's unfortunate um, you know, this he he basically I mean, for lack of a better term, he's a very arrogant guitar player, but he has all the reason in the world to be cuz he can play a million notes at a second and that's great. 
I mean, that was this is this is the era of the shredding guitarist. You know, George Lynch is now coming and becoming popular. You know, Eddie Van Halen has already been popular. Um, the '80s scene is blowing up in LA at this point. You know, everybody is starting to to you know become famous, and in shredding guitars is what it's all about. And Vinnie Vincent was at the forefront of that. Unfortunately, his attitude was horrible and did not allow the, he has zero humility and that's really the biggest stumbling block in this, this whole thing because songwriting is great. He has a great partnership with Paul and Gene in terms of songwriting, but you know, the, the, the arrogance and the lack of humility is what did him in. And, you know, we go on to the next album and they need to find another guitar player again. And so to try and keep in with the times, they keep, they get another shredder who has no idea how to replicate a guitar solo. Yeah, he does it one time and can't do it again. And he, so that's fine for Richie Blackmore. But but it doesn't work for working with Gene and Paul. No, and we're talking about Mark St. John, and we're talking about the Animalize album. Um, so so you they progress from Lick It Up, very successful album. They progress to to Animalize, you know. But at this point now, Gene is completely checked out. You know, he took the makeup off. Now, you know, he he feels the, the sense that he can become a movie star because he's got the freedom of not having to worry about being seen in public without his makeup. I hate to say it, but he was really wrong about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw one movie with him. Runaway? And I'm trying to remember. What's that? Runaway with Tom Selleck? Yes. And it was not good. I mean, it wasn't a bad movie, per se. But it wasn't a good one either. <laughs> it wasn't a good one either. If you want to see a movie with the most like rudimentary idea of what robots are, like you know, like a fax machine chasing after you, like that's that's what you're getting out of this movie. It also has like the the most hilarious ending where the 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 main character and his love interest kiss and it spins around for like three minutes where they just they're just sitting there kissing for like three minutes and it's so awkward um i just had to say that because i every time i have to mention this movie that's that's the part that just it's so cringy that it's it's hilarious isn't this the one where, where gene simmons dies in like a big giant pile of cocaine um, he dies like falling off of a, a building and then like the robots attack him. Oh, okay. if I so remember correctly, I, f- I forgot, I forgot which one it was that he dies in a big pile of cocaine. He's I do- not horrible in the movie. It's just, it's not good either. Like, <laughs> so it's somewhere okay, so in between. The, the thing with Gene Simmons, you know, um, he is... He considers himself extremely good looking and um he's got the confidence he's got the he's got the confidence i mean God, how do you put it i mean he's not like butt ugly okay, but he's not the the most handsome man in the world he's not leading uh man uh 
good looks. He doesn't have the the, the Tom Selleck good looks. He doesn't have the Tom uh, Cruise good looks. But he's he can he act. <laughs> He doesn't even have the Steve Buscemi good looks. Oh um, wow, no, he's got he's better than Buscemi. Come on, <laughs> but the pro the the, <laughs> the problem is that you know he thinks he does, he and so he's sure trying does. to do all these projects, and and you know rather than just focus on the fact of what got you there, he's trying to do everything else now. You flip it towards Paul Stanley. Paul Stanley is doing everything in his power to make sure the kiss survives. Okay, and so now he's taking the helm, and but he he's taking the helm with a sense of um, not regret. Um, he he has no choice but to give credit where credit is not due to Gene Simmons. You know, Gene Simmons was listed as an associate producer to uh animalize he was he was considered a producer on asylum um and even though he had nothing to do with it um the songwriting was just like oh yeah here's a song i wrote yesterday and even paul stanley when you listen to him talk in his book and i listened to the audiobook he does not believe that gene simmons wrote wrote those songs he believes that gene took them from other artists and put his name on it but Paul was humble and did the right thing in order to keep the band together by he unfortunately gave him credit for things that he didn't really do. But that was the smart thing at the time to make sure that Kiss survived. I th- you know, yeah, and it was it was in order for, to keep the Kiss machine alive. You know, it was kind of like this guy has, you know, my partner has me by the balls. He's got a gun to my head. I have no choice but to do this, or otherwise the machine just falls apart. And it's and it, it's fucked up on Gene's part. And he he finally called them out on it. And he's like, "Look, dude, you either are in or you're out. I can't keep doing this." And yeah. Gene kind of kind of woke up to it, you know. Um, but I at the same time, and and, and I'll, I'll I'll give this uh, in Gene's defense when Gene took the makeup off. Gene didn't know who Gene was anymore. It's understandable. Gene, you know, Gene became an actor so in Hollywood, but he that wasn't Gene Simmons. That's, that wasn't the demon. So now, who is Gene Simmons? He's this guy with short hair, because his hair never grew back until late 80s and 90s, um, after you know keeping it short for Hollywood ever since 1981 when he cut it for The Elder. You know, Gene Simmons' hair never really grew back until... You know, it, you saw it on Hot in the Shade, and then on on Revenge, it was probably the best look he ever had uh, post makeup. Um, so he didn't know who he was. He was literally lost between trying to be a Hollywood star and not knowing the the music was not coming out of him. And and so if you if you listen to all the Kiss albums in the in the eighties, you know specifically stuff on on uh, uh, Animalize Asylum. Lick It Up. Well, Lick It Up has some good songs. But Animalize Asylum, Hot in the Shade, Crazy Nights, none of those four albums have a good Gene song on it. Maybe Crazy Nights because I think that's when Paul finally said, hey, dude, I need you. What are you doing? And so Gene actually made some effort. The songs still weren't great, but he made an effort. You know, Paul Stanley had all the singles. 
had every single on those on those four albums. Those are definitely the Paul albums. You know, you you look at them and you think about each song that's on. Like you said, those are those are the Paul albums. Those are the ones that he he stands out as the leader of the band. Absolutely, you know. And during this time, by the way, um, you find out, or or Paul finally, you know, in his autobiography, tells you they were getting screwed by their finance manager. They they were managing themselves, even though they had someone who was a consultant. Um, so all the decisions were going through Paul, basically. That you know, Paul had to get Gene to sign off on it, but basically, Gene was going to do whatever Paul told him to do. You know, so. It's crazy this period of time that we're thinking is successful for Kiss because they're all over MTV. You know, they're on, they've got a hit single with Reason to Live. They got a hit single with Forever. You know, you're seeing them all over MTV every, every year because shit, you know, Asylum and Animalize come back, come out 12 months apart to within three days of a year. You know, Crazy Nights comes out two years later almost to the day. And then, you know, uh, Hot in the Shade comes out two years later, I think it is, uh, to the day, you know, almost to to the the next month. It's like whatever it is, 25 months later. It's, it's insane that this is all Paul's doing. It's all, you know, and they're, and you're thinking they're having all this success. And in the background, you got, you got a guy who is trying really, really hard, like a parent to keep it together, you know, and to keep the machine rolling and to keep making money. Yeah. So, um, 1991 comes around. So they've done, they've got these four albums. They've had some success, but the, the ticket sales are not, the success is not showing in ticket sales, which is kind of weird because they're having this big success with a song like Forever, which is a top 10 hit, uh, a song like Reason to Live, which was a top 40 hit. And I think, or was that like top 60 something? But it still it still made the Hot 100, and you have a band that you know can't sell out an arena, even though they're all over MTV. It's kind of weird, you know. Yeah. Um, so nineteen, you know, nineteen eighty nine comes around. Paul Stanley decides to do a solo uh, tour. Um, you know, then they they come out with uh, Hot in the Shade, and they they. They have these really good tours. I mean, I saw all the tours since Asylum on Asylum, Crazy Nights, Hot in the Shade, Revenge, then the, the reunion stuff, the 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 acoustic stuff. I saw all that, and every show was great. You know, I mean, as a Kiss fan, you're loving this stuff, but in the background, they're not doing that well. Um, you know, three month tour. When you have an album, you figure you got to do more than three months in U.S. only. It's kind of like, man, that's it. And in 91, uh, or I think in 90, 91 time, uh, Eric Carr gets diagnosed with uh, cancer. Cancer spreads. He passes away the same day that Freddie Mercury passes away. I think it was, what, November 24th or something like that, 23rd, 1991. And he is a footnote because Freddie Mercury passes away the same day i mean everybody's it's about freddie and you know mtv news and and also eric carr passes away and it was like you know for me that was more devastating than freddie mercury yeah um so in the meantime they they had come they had released the song 
God gave rock and roll to you too from the Ted and, uh, from the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. Um, so that got them started to make another album, which would eventually become Revenge. Here's the funny part about Revenge. Some dude named Vincent Cusano reemerges and apologizes to Paul and Gene. They do songs together and they came out with a pretty good freaking album called Revenge. And Gene Simmons figured out who the hell he was. Why? Because Unholy fits the demon character. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it is the first album to me after probably Creatures that is really heavy and really like, um, what's the word? Uh, cohesive. You know, it, it feels like Kiss has their shit back together. But what's weird is Unholy doesn't fit the rest of the album. Uh, but yet, but yet it, yeah. it fits, you know? Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's, I mean, it has some heavy moments. But yeah, it it does feel a little different. See, I mean, but it's, it's kind of Kiss sorry. to me. Is like they, they're always a little all over the place. You know, that's part of it because they have multiple members singing, etc. So there's right. there's kind of like a, I mean, at this point, it's just Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons, right? I don't think anybody else sang on this album. No, no. But maybe even going forward, right? I think it's pretty much just the two of them, except um, for with the reunions. After this, uh, you know, they released, um, they started doing the um, Carnival of Soul sessions. And actually, Bruce Kulick sings one song on there. Oh, okay. um, I've never really listened to that one too much because it's it's, it's like it's so a very, different. Yeah, it's so different. It's very odd. Um, but Bruce Kulick does do a song on there. They give him that. Um, but then, you know, of course, Psycho Circus comes out a year after that one. And um, that that's a whole Carnival Souls <laughs> was supposed to be more along the lines of grunge. Yeah. And it was funny because, you know, they're trying to do this grunge album. They get a grunge producer, and you know Paul's like, "Dude, I can't sing songs about being upset and angry when I'm not upset and angry." <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> he goes, "That's just not me." And You're Gene's like, "No, just, just right." And Gene's like, "Just, just try it. I'm sure you can do it." You know? And Gene comes up with a song called "Hate," which is perfect for Gene because Gene's an angry dude. He looks angry, you know, and that's why unholy works. But you know, the 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 other stuff. Paul's not an angry guy. <laughs> He's about rock and roll and getting laid. You know. Yeah, I I don't really ever remember seeing like a happy picture of Gene Simmons. Because <laughs> he's always trying to be evil, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. That revenge was real good. Vinnie Vincent reemerges and then does the same stupid shit. He decides to renege on his deal. He he wants more money. He sues Kiss for more money, and Kiss takes him back to court, and they basically slam dunk him, you know, back down to the fucking wherever he lives in Connecticut for him to hold himself up for the next twenty years. Um, you know, until too he reemerges, it is too bad. It's too bad. Vinnie Vincent just kind of went weird. And he reemerged in 2018. And, and again, Gene Simmons had wanted nothing to do with him. But he reemerges. He comes out of his hole. 
and he decides he wants to play guitar again. He gets back on stage with, with Gene during Gene's little vault solo tour that he's trying to do and sell this $1,000 box set. And he, he reunites with Ace for a couple of, of these um, you know personal performances. And he reunites with Vinnie Vincent for one personal performance. And Vin, then Vinnie Vincent goes on Eddie Trunk. And he, he's trying to do all these expo shows. And then he just backs out on everything again and just disappears. It's now like, he dude. had some other stuff that happened though, like his wife was murdered. At- but that was before. That was before. I mean, that was what part of the reason why he stayed reclusive. That's what I'm saying. Was, like right. part of part of him withdrawing from life was he had some bad stuff happen to him too. So right, but you know, at the and, same and time- you can't just live on that. But I'm just I'm just putting it out there so people understand. Right. Yeah. So. You know, we've gotten to this point, 80s Kiss, you know, like I mentioned to me is, you know, from Creatures all the way to Revenge. Um, for me, it's a it's an incredible time period that that sees a resurgence of Kiss. My favorite band is now back on top, even though that's the way it looks like to me in the background that's not the way it was happening and it's kind of tough when you think when you hear about it later you're like wow man all this shit was going on but you know they paul stanley did his best to keep it together he was like he's like a single mom you know trying to keep it together <laughs> he's the soccer mom of kiss <laughs> you know but unfortunately, that's what happened. And this is a guy who was motivated by wanting to be successful in his band that he put together. You know, so, uh, you know, Chris Jericho is a fan, is a fa- is a bigger fan of 80s Kiss than he is of 70s Kiss because that's what he grew up on. That's what I grew up on. But I started in the 70s. You know, I'm a few years older than, than Chris. Um, and he came into be liking Kiss in the middle of eight, the eighties. I started liking Kiss as a kid. Um, you know, and I know you are way behind all that, um, and you're catching up on it. But having lived through it, it's it's understandable. I mean, I I have two different like I I look at Kiss as two different entities. You know, seventies and eighties Kiss kind of thing. Um, and reunion kiss, I just I, I completely described. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, so, I really enjoyed '80s kiss. You know, the 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 eight the, the creatures through revenge kiss. I really really enjoyed it. Um, that's when I got to see them in concert and stuff like that. So that was a really cool time for me. It does seem like even from from my perspective, which is you know relatively new in in getting to know kiss as a band it 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 does seem like two completely different bands and and that's kind of what made me think about this as a concept for an episode was because you know like i said listening to these guys talk about it was you know uh, peter and ace have this mindset of those those you know four or five years as the band and they didn't live through, you know, 
Paul trying to keep the band together and them having to figure out how they were going to, you know, keep the band alive with replacing members and how are people going to react to that and living through the hard times of, you know, you're going from being on top of the world to barely selling out your shows or sometimes not even selling out your shows. And it's, it's a different mindset. It's a different experience and you have these guys that think of the band in one way and then you have the the two guys that have stuck it out through the entire career and then you have the other members like say for instance an Eric Carr or uh, Bruce Kulick who were you know hired guns essentially but still very devoted to the band in the time that they were in the band and then you have other guys now you have Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer, who are, you know, they've been in Kiss longer than Ace and Peter were. And, and yeah, they're playing their parts, but that's, that's the role that they were hired for. And so, like, you have these very distinct eras, you know, like, like you said, there's 70s Kiss and 80s Kiss, but even, you can even break it down further to the hungry eight years you know those first four or five years first three albums and then everything from from after alive to alive two is is its own kind of distinct era and then you have you know pretty much from from what elder to um to to revenge in a way is is its own era because that's kind of paul's saga really you know, yeah, it's it's Gene was there, too, but he was doing his own thing. And you have to think of it almost as a separate entity than Kiss, because he was he he was trying to make Gene Simmons successful. So it's a it's a really interesting thing. And then, yeah, we're about to get into um, the the reunion era briefly. But. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see because it's not just masked versus unmasked. There's so much more in between. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you on on all that. Um so 1995 rolls around and <sighs> Kiss is at this point they they've finished the revenge tour. They're doing side projects, and I put it that way. Um you know, uh, tribute albums are, are becoming a thing. Um, so they put together Kiss uh, Kiss My Ass, the tribute album to Kiss. Um, there's a home video that goes along with it. There's the, the CD and the album, you know, limited edition vinyl. Um, they put out a couple of other videos, um, home videos in the, in the, the past couple of years up leading up to that point. So they've gotten their name continuing kiss alive three came out in 1993. So they've gotten their name still out there. Um, but 90, 1995 rolls around and they've, they've heard about these kiss conventions and all of a sudden it's like, well, we want a piece of that. So basically they put a cease and desist on all these expos using the kiss convention name. They can't use kiss, um, convention because now kiss is going to do their own kiss convention. And, um, it's a really cool idea to what they did and the concept and behind it and everything like that. And it's crazy expensive. You want to get into this kiss expo, their own kiss convention. It's a hundred dollars in 1995. Now I am piss broke 
as a, as a human being in 1995. Me too. Um, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I'm working at the record store. I'm a store manager. Um, I was nine. <laughs> I was I was not. I was a lot older. I, I was uh, 1995. I was 26 years old. Um, I I have my own store, and I'm asked, "Do you want to work this show?" Uh, we you know, and this is Specs Music. So anybody who lives in Houston knows uh, Specs is a, is a liquor store here in Houston, but in Florida, Specs was a um, record store for a long time, and so uh, Specs Music was the official retailer for the. Uh, music for the uh, the Kiss conventions. There was one in Miami. I think there was one in Tampa. And so they asked me if I wanted to work the show. So I'm like, I don't have to spend a hundred bucks, and I can get into the show, and we can take breaks and walk around. Sure, shit, yeah, I'm gonna do that. So that's what I did. So there was four of us. So it was um, me and another store manager, and we were able to pick two employees, and both of the employees came from my store. So. We we uh, these kiss conventions were so super cool. It's basically a traveling museum. They had their own kiss memorabilia that they set up so people could could view it, and then um, they had special kiss merchandise that was available for sale. Um, and then they had a kiss tribute band perform, which was kind of weird. If I'm kiss, that's kind of got to be really weird because you're watching yourself like from. Some band do you ten years prior? Hey, it's got to feel like Ace Freely now. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, um, exactly <laughs> with Tommy Thayer. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you talk about nineteen ninety five. There's a Kiss tribute band is doing a band doing them from twenty years prior. So it was pretty cool. And then they came out and they did an acoustic set, which was supposed to be quote unquote all request, which it really wasn't. Um, they they had a set amount of songs that they were going to play acoustically, and they did like one or two songs by request and some of those songs were usually done after a minute because it couldn't remember everything so you're telling me kiss did something where they were tricking the fans into thinking something different than what was actually there they had never done that before no they didn't um and then there was the free-for-all autograph session which is where I got my autographs from. Um, and that's how I met Paul and Gene in the back. Uh, Paul, Gene, Ace, um, excuse me, Paul, Gene, Eric, Singer, uh, and um, Bruce Kulick. It was pretty cool. Um, I had a good time. They signed my record for Revenge, so that's why I have it plaqued in my, my office. It was a very cool thing, which led to MTV calling him up saying, Hey, you want to do an MTV unplugged? Sure. Well, that's not, that's a cool idea. Oh, by the way, can you get back together with Peter and Ace for a couple of songs? Ooh, that's a, that's a different story. Um, that's what the, the kiss unplugged or the kiss conventions led to the kiss unplugged, which led to the kiss reunion. Um, February 28th, 1996 at the, at the 38th annual Grammys, Tupac Shakur introduces some band from New York City uh, that had not put their makeup on in quite some time. Tupac introduces Kiss. That's just odd by itself. But Kiss was reunited on the Grammys, and then a few months later, they introduced a they did an introduction for their tour on the USS Intrepid. 
Um, the tour was wildly successful, but man, if you if you listen to Paul talk or read Paul's uh, autobiography, so much shit happened in the background during during that that tour during Psycho Circus, uh, the reunion album, and then during the tour of that, and then the farewell tour. It's insane to think what happened in the background. Did did you catch any of that? Oh yeah, I mean, I, like I, I've listened to excerpts from from Paul's book, but you know, just the 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 demands that were coming from Ace and Peter, the you know, each one of them quit at one point or was fired and brought back on, the drama that was happening because there was two camps. There was the Ace and Peter camp, and then there was the the. Um, Paul and Gene camp them not wanting them to record psycho circus because they didn't think they were, you know, up to snuff or, you know, they still had their, their, uh, hangups from before, you know, they, they, they left the band and this had been Paul and Gene's band for all this time. And it, and these two guys came in and they're thinking, you know, Oh, this is, this is uh, our thing again. You know, I was, I was in the band before these other guys, you know, this, this is our thing. And it wasn't, it was two different mindsets from the start again. And it was just destined to fail. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, definitely destined to fail. I mean, look, if you got a guy in in this, that's working for your company, uh, a la Tommy Thayer, and you say, "Hey Tommy, I need you to go get Peter Chris up to snuff." Tommy's a guitar player, so I don't know what the hell he's doing trying to teach Peter Chris. But I'm sure you know he's a professional, you know, and and he went out there and he tried to teach Peter his drum parts again, and he tried to get him up to snuff. It worked. Then he had to work on Ace Frehley. And, you know, the the arrogance was Ace Freely was like, hey, you know, I'm the one who came up with that shit. You know, and then Tommy turned around and go, yeah, but you play the shit wrong. You need to play it right. We don't play it like that, you know. And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, once Ace was able to put that aside, he worked well with Tommy, you know. Um, and Ace loves to to you know, dig at Tommy now saying, Hey, that guy's doing my parts and he's not even doing them that good. You know, I, I'm sorry, but I disagree. You know, as everyone can criticize Tommy for, for putting the makeup on, but Tommy's a better guitar player at this point than Ace Frehley. But I even find like, I don't like it because I think they should get their own characters, but that's not really Tommy and Eric's fault. And they they have a a steady gig where they're playing the music that they want to play, and they've been effective members of that band for, who you know how however long they've been in the band at this point, twenty years. Yeah. So I don't I really don't have no, not twenty. It's oh yeah, twenty twenty more than twenty because it's ninety five to two thousand five two thousand fifteen. So I mean, it happened like well, it was more like. Yeah, early 2000s. So definitively, those guys have been in the band for, you know, 18 to 20 years each. Eric Singer's been on and off more than that. He's been in the band almost for 30. 
I, I don't have a problem with with Tommy and and Eric doing their thing. You know, they're they're getting paid. They're they're working all the time. They're being effective members of the band. They're doing what they they're asked of, you know? So I I don't really see a, pe- a a reason to complain about either of those guys. You know, it's it, it's I get it. Like I get why as a fan you would want to see the original guys because there's the nostalgia factor, but they haven't been a band and they weren't even a band that long. <laughs> no, that's the problem. You know, eight. Hey, look, I don't, I don't blame Tommy. I don't blame Eric. You know, they're, they're told, Hey, you need to put makeup on. You can, you're either in or out. Okay. So they both chose to be, if it in. wasn't them, they it have would a, be somebody else. Exactly. You know, Bruce Kulick, was never going to wear makeup. Um, he wasn't invited back, but it wasn't because he wasn't invited back because he didn't want to put the makeup on, but it's because Paul knew that it just wasn't his thing. Yeah. He had never been and in the, so, the makeup era of the band. It would right, be kind of you know, weird to make him go up there and be somebody else other than himself. Exactly. And then with Tommy, no, you know, no one knew him outside of... Uh, certain circles and you know i mean i remember the day that i went to that kiss convention i'm walking in the back and they're showing me where we have to set up and the guy showing me where we have to set up is tommy thayer mm. and me and me and the other store manager were looking at him going are you tommy thayer you know and from black and blue he's like yeah we're like cool we literally left him and i we, we told the two the two employees with us look you stay here do whatever they tell you to do. John and I are going back home. We're getting our black and blue CDs. We'll be back. <laughs> and I got my black and blue CDs signed by Tommy. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was kind of weird. But um I don't blame Tommy. I don't blame Eric. Um, you know, the the bottom line is 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 they tried it once with new characters with Eric Carr and with Vinnie Vincent. I think Eric Carr <laughs> He had to have his own makeup. Um, you know, Paul says that back now, if he had to do it all over again, he'd put Eric Carr in, in Peter's makeup. No, no I don't I disagree. I don't, that never would have worked. That never would have worked. But I, I can understand the ace, the 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 Ankh warrior, like kind of regretting that. But I think that if they would have come up with a better concept, it probably wouldn't have been so bad. Or if they would have had a guitar player to stuck around longer, it wouldn't have been so bad. But um, now they go back and say, okay, these are the four iconic symbols. These are four iconic characters. This is what we have to do in order to, to maintain this. And I get it. You know what? And people, you know, because if you think about the way Paul Stanley puts it, people want to see Kiss. People want to see Spaceman, Catman, Star Child, and Demon. That's what they get. Now, the, the kids of today don't know Peter and Ace. They just know that those were two guys in the band. But they don't know that, you know, they created those characters from scratch. I mean, they probably do if they read about it. But they don't realize how bad, per se, those guys would be if they were actually in the band. They're getting a concept of a guy who's up there who is the space ace or the space man, put it that way. And the cat man. They're playing their parts. That's it. I don't have a problem with it. You know, I don't blame them. It's, you know, if, you, if you're going to blame anybody, you're going to blame Paul. Because Paul's the main guy behind it. Uh, you can get mad at Gene, too, but he's just probably along for the ride anyway. So, yeah. Reunion Era Kiss was just 
was just a, bound to fail. I mean, I, I would still consider. What would you call today's era, though? I mean, they're not reunion era per se, but they're the guys that came out of the reunion era. Modern makeup era, I guess you could say. I guess so. Yeah, like the modern era of Kiss. Um, so my, you know, my thoughts on it, like. I'm not a big fan of this, those last couple albums. I've only listened to them like the one time that I had to for the show. Um, you know, it's, it's a nostalgia act. It's purely a nostalgia act. Now they're not putting out new music. Um, they're, they're living off the legacy of what they created and that's fine. You know, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that per se. Like they, people go to see the show because they want to see the Kiss show, you know. They want to see what they remember, or if they they're a you know lifelong fan and they travel along and go see as many shows as they want. Great, enjoy it. But I'm not. You're not expecting anything beyond that anymore. And you know, there's the the controversy with using backing tracks and this and that. Well, you know. Paul's in his seventies right now. Like I, it's, you kind of go knowing what you are expecting to see. And if you're, if you don't know, then, you know, I guess you are just not really that big on, you know, following the band, but I, I, I have a hard time being upset about any of it. It, there's not going to be too many more shows with kiss. If you want to go see the show, go see the show, enjoy it. It may be your only opportunity in the next 10 years or so because they, they, they've they talked about replacing them and that's just a cover band. Like Nobody wants to see that. No, for that, I mean, you'll, some see, pe- just, you'll just see a regular Kiss just cover go, band. Just, just go see a cheap Kiss cover band and don't pay hundreds of dollars to go see the official cover band. You know? Right. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that either. You know, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I when you sit there and said that Paul Stanley's in the 70s, he's 70 years old, right? And then Gene is 73. The wild thing about that is, you think about the fact that they're 70 and 73 respectively, right? You know, mm-hmm. Paul's going to be 71 come January 20th. So they're relatively uh, uh, two and a half years apart. It's insane to think that at that age... They're still doing what they do. They're still wearing those costumes or outfits, as they would like to call it. The boots, the guitars, the the extra excess weight, especially Gene. And, I mean, Gene's 73 years old, and he's wearing that 30-pound fucking football uniform with those boots. Yeah. And it's a, it's just amazing testament to that guy. I mean, he says it straight up because there's nobody out there right now that could do what we do with what we do it with. And it's absolutely true. Okay. You you and now mind you, they're conditioned for that. They're, that's what makes professional athletes, and I'm not calling Gene a professional athlete, but that's what makes professional athletes what they are. They are conditioned to do what they do. So KISS is conditioned to do what they do, you know wearing the, the the suits, the makeup, and all that stuff. And that's tough. And it's amazing that those guys can do it at this age. I mean, that's why when you sit there and say, you want Ace back or you want Peter back, dude, they cannot play with the, with that gear on. I'm sorry. They just can't. 
No, but they could they could go out for one song, one song or two songs and go like, you know, appreciate all of the eras of the band or something like that. They're not going to bring Vinny back. We all know that. And, I, and <coughs> excuse me. And Mark St. John's gone. But it would be cool, you know, last couple shows, bring back Bruce, you know, play a couple songs with him. Bruce does the Kiss Cruises. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But, but bring back Ace and Peter, play a couple songs, you know, don't expect anything more than that. And that would be cool. But if they don't, then that's cool, too. Because they've they've kept this band going for this long, and it's their right to do pretty much whatever they want. But uh, again, I think for the fandom, for the people that have been supporting them all these years, it would be cool to see, you know, the 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 original guys together for one or two songs, just to finish off their career. That that would be cool, and and I I, I don't know if I would go out of my way to to buy a ticket for that but it would be cool to see that maybe on tv or something like that broadcast that would be cool um to some to some i know we i know we skimmed over this modern makeup era kiss i mean to sum it up i mean the reunion was for lack of a better term um successful the first time the psycho circus tour was not as successful the farewell tour was not as successful in terms of the way they felt about what they were doing to the point where the farewell tour was done because they didn't want to continue with these other two guys. It fell apart. And then because Eric Singer came back for some shows and because Tommy Thayer replaced Ace Freely for other shows, it gave them an inspiration. And they, 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 when they ended up having to play with, with both Eric and Tommy as replacements, as in a temporary sense because Peter and Ace were still technically part of Kiss and they played that show it was it was like a, a light bulb turned on for Paul and he's like this is the band so they made it official then they you know since that point it's been it's been that way and and you know they've never looked back and it's been a, a moderate success for them since that point I take nothing away from them. It is pretty cool. You know, if you want to go out and see that show, like we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, what they do now is more bombastic. It's more powerful. It's more over the top than anything they did in the 70s and early 80s, which is just incredible to think. So So I I don't think, though, they have this resurgence, this this amount of success that they're experiencing now had they not done the reunion tour. Oh no, absolutely not. So absolutely not. So so even if it wasn't great and it didn't, you know, like soothe their souls and they're not happy with that time period, they the the benefits of it I think are there. You know, they they experienced a um resurgence of their career. Yeah, they're not, you know, st- top 10 on the radio they don't have any new songs or anything like that but they're they're doing really well no without the reunion they they don't exist nowadays and that's fine um they had they did it they and they did it for all the right reasons back then they 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 did it because they wanted to reunite i i can't i don't take anything away from them they saw an opportunity they took it and they ran with it and it, it gave them the life that they needed back okay but it became you know 
as much as they try to do it for all the right reasons, all those reasons came, you know, with the baggage that eventually think, overtook them. I think all the right reasons is just cash. Maybe just cash. <laughs> yeah, right. Just cash. I was gonna say I don't think that's really all the right reasons. It's one reason they did it for the money. I get it. <laughs> you know, but you know, at some point it was like it's it's the you know it, it's like we can't do this anymore with these people. And yeah, so no, I get that. So you know, I I like. 70s kiss i like 80s kiss i even like that lost time period be, you know between 79 and 81 I, I i accept that for what it is um you know the kiss that's there now you know they're trying to sell fans you know that they're going to continue without paul and gene i don't even think eric and tommy are going to continue without paul and gene you know personally i think i think they both said that they can't they, they they wouldn't feel right. I know Eric won't. Um, Tommy, you know, I, yeah. he Tom. The thing about Tommy not that not a lot of people know. Tommy works for the machine that is called Kiss. He has he does a lot of stuff in the background that nobody knows anything about, and so he will probably work for the corporation till he is done working. Period. And. If that means that he has to go out and be the the lead guy in the Kiss tribute band, I think he'll do it. But I think he, I, I really think that him and Eric are going to sit down with Paul and Gene and say it, it just it's not going to happen. It can't. But who knows what's going to happen? Who knows? All right. Well, that brings us to our big four tonight. Um, and so we're getting close to the end of this episode. This big four. Is a, is a little bit different than what we normally do, um, but it, again, it's a it's a big four. It is the big four Paul Stanley Kiss songs. So these are songs performed by Paul Stanley in Kiss. Um, There's a lot of songs to choose from. You know, you can like all sorts of different eras. Um, me personally, my stuff falls within one particular time period. <laughs> um, but it's all the elder stuff. It's uh, yes. Yes. No. <laughs> well, the number one performance for me, I'm just going to go straight to it, is Just a Boy. Okay? That's it. I'm done. Uh, 100%. 100%. 1,000%. It's no, okay. all... Uh, you want me to go first on this one? Uh, well, you just said what your number one was. So, nah. I mean, in the, go ahead. Yeah, you can all go right. first. All right. So, my, my, my big four Paul Stanley Kiss songs. And again, like I said, there's a, there's a shit ton of them, but these are the ones that really stand out to me. Number four, Creatures of the Night, um, the the title track. I mean, I love that album. I mean, it, it has really become probably my favorite album from Kiss. You know, that and Revenge. And even though, you know, I, I completely disagree with Eddie Trunk saying that, you know, he thinks that Revenge is shit compared to Hot in the Shade. I don't know what kind of crack he's on. But Creatures of the Night, to me, is better than all of them. So that's my number he four. He thinks Hot in the Shade is better than Revenge? Yes. Don't even get me started. Uh. <laughs> number three, um, Making Love off of Rock and Roll Over. What an amazing song that is. And, uh, I mean, if we're talking about Ace Freely guitar solos, that's one of them that's right up there. I mean, it's one of the best solos he's put on tape. But um, the performance from from Paul Stanley on this is also outstanding. So I love that song. Uh, 
Number two, I Stole Your Love off of Love Gun. Um, another outstanding song. Um, I, I love the fact that for a long period of time, d- during the, the, the 77 tour, that was the opening song. Uh, then they did that as an opening song during one of their 80s. I think it was the Asylum tour. Could have been Crazy Nights. I can't remember. Um, but that was the, the, the opening song to one of their tours during the 80s. And number one for me um, is my favorite song from Kiss Hands Down. It's Detroit Rock City. Um, it's just an outstanding performance from Paul, an outstanding recording, an outstanding song. So there's my big four Paul Stanley Kiss songs. Well, I think we only have one crossover, <gasps> um, but no! it's good list. Uh, my number four is Strutter off of the first album. Uh, I just always really like that song. It's uh, It's kind of like that early 70s rock but it's a good performance and i really like it um my number three is tears are falling off of asylum now that song gets stuck in my head it is an earworm um i like it it's kind of cheesy with the music video but i like that era of the (laughs) band so yeah it's a cool song uh my number two is creatures of the night off of creatures of the night um for the same reasons you said, it's a great album. It's a great song. It's a really cool, bombastic opening to that album, and I, I just really enjoy it. And uh, my number one is Love Gun off of Love Gun. Love that song. Um, I I really first got into it because of uh, what was the Paul Rudd movie, where they they had uh, they dressed up as Kiss while they were. <laughs> fighting i can't remember the name of the movie but i know what you're talking about yeah it's it's uh, uh role models i think is the name yeah role models. um so good and that song has just kind of stuck with me ever since and i i just i i really like that album i think it's a little bit underrated for the era that it's in um but uh that is my favorite song off of that album and one of my favorite kiss songs so that's a good list i like that i mean there's so many Paul Stanley songs to choose from, you know, especially during the eighties. <laughs> True. But, um, you know, again, growing up in that time period in the seventies, I mean, it's just those albums resonate with me so far, so deep. Um, but yeah, that's a, uh, it's a cool list. I like that. I mean, I like love gun. I like creatures, obviously, uh, tears are falling. That's a surprise. That's, that's, uh, it's funny that you like that song. It's, it surprises me because, but it's, it's, it really does stick in my head. And something about that that the the rhythm of it, like that that opening riff, just sticks in my head. And I, and I like Strutter too, because Strutter. I mean, that's the first thing anybody heard. So they, you know, there was so much attitude. I mean, that's just such a New York song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really good. I love the attitude that Paul sings that song with. So. Well, cool, man. Well, that's our big four Paul Stanley Kiss songs, and that's all we have for you for this episode. By now, you should know the drill. You click like or subscribe, or you download the show to your favorite device. You press play, you sit back, you relax, and you listen to us whenever you want. And don't forget you can leave us a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new episode. So tune in to next week when we spark up another exciting debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya. (laughs) 